This podcast is brought to you by the American Enterprise Institute. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, review, and share. Thanks for listening. Here's our show. What in the hell's going on? What the hell is going on? What the hell is going on? I don't know what the hell he's talking about. You don't have to know what the hell is on it. What the hell's the matter with these guys? We don't know what's going on. What the hell's going on? Who in God's name knows what it's all about? Hi, I'm Danielle Pletka. And I'm Mark Thiessen. Welcome to our podcast, What the Hell is Going On? 2024. Mark, what the hell is going on? What the hell is going on? We're still, we're, we're still talking about 2023, Danny. <laughs> I know. We can't let it go. It's our first pod of the year. As we do every year, we're going through my annual columns listing the 10 best and 10 worst things that the President of the United States, in this case, Joe Biden, did in 2023. And uh, the Post just, they ran a couple of days ago online, but the Post put them in print today. And we're still we're still doing our, our look back on 2023. And maybe he can do better in 2024. What do you think, Danny? I think that seems kind of unlikely. But hey, let's be optimistic. And let's start with the good news. Tell me the top 10 good things that Joe Biden did in 2023, Mark Thiessen. This, uh, this was a challenge to put together. It took more work to come up with the top 10 best than the top 10 worst. But every year, I do my best to give the president a fair shot. So we're going to start with the best things he did. 10. He killed a top Islamic State leader in Syria. In April, U.S. forces launched a strike that took out Khalid Ayad al-Jabouri, who is an Islamic State leader involved in planning attacks on Europe. Okay. That's good, no? Yeah, absolutely. Killing ISIS leaders, killing uh, terrorists, always a good thing. You know, it's almost become routine now. We just expect it. Oh, we popped another guy. But we're still carrying out drone strikes, still carrying occasional special operations strikes. Not doing it in Afghanistan anymore because we don't have any boots on the ground over there. Uh, but this is the top 10 best thing, so I'm not going to go into that. No, but I do think it's it's interesting. I mean, there it's like there are two Joe Bidens, you know? There's the Joe Biden that, and I know you're going to talk about this later, but there's the Joe Biden that supports Israel. There's the Joe Biden that pops, as you so eloquently say, pops off, you know, terrorist leaders without a, a single tear of regret. And yet it's the same guy who pulled out of Afghanistan. I, I don't I don't really get it. I, I'll be honest with you. All right. Well, let's stay in the spirit of being positive. We will have plenty of time to say all the things, the negative things uh, momentarily that, that Joe Biden did. That, 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 is, that is not my spirit. I know it isn't, but we're going to try. This is, my this spirit is, very, is not being Danny positive. Danny's definitely here because Danny does not like being positive <laughs> as a general rule in life. <laughs> no, not about not about anything. Right. <laughs> That's true. January is never my best month. All right, go, Mark. Number nine. Nine. He further strengthened restrictions on China's access to advanced technology. So last year, my top 10 list was that the administration blocked U.S. companies from selling chips and semiconductor equipment to China. This year, he further tightened the tech news, banning Americans from investing in Chinese companies, developing advanced semiconductors and quantum computers. That was really good. And I do think it's a sign that even though the administration has been increasingly soft on the Chinese because they're worried about the 2024 election and the economy, nonetheless, they've been willing to recognize that we have got to tighten the noose on the Chinese, technologically speaking. Otherwise, we are going to be in a world of hurt in 
every single area, not simply economically, but also defense-wise. You know, the hardest thing with competition with China is is that they steal stuff, right? So if you really want to hurt their their ability to compete with us, we take steps to prevent them from taking our technology, and uh, because they can't develop it on their own. So so anything we can do to tighten the tech news on on Beijing is a good thing. Fair enough. Keep going. Eight. He hosted the first trilateral summit with South Korea, Japan, and the United States. The Camp David meeting of the three allies was a watershed moment for security in East Asia. As one George W. Bush administration official put it, we could barely get South Korean and Japanese leaders to meet with us in the same room. Uh, Biden also continued to strengthen U.S. alliances to counter China in other ways, conducting joint military drills with Japan and Australia in Chinese-claimed areas of the South China Sea, launching the second pillar of his historic uh, agreement with Britain and Australia, known as AUKUS, to jointly develop advanced military capabilities to counter Beijing, holding his third leader-level summit of the Indo-Pacific Quad, which is Japan, Australia, India, and the United States, and conducting a state visit to Hanoi to strengthen our partnership with Vietnam. So generally advancing uh, diplomatic uh, initiatives in the region and military cooperation to counter China. What do you think, Danny? You're in the region. You're coming to us from Australia. (laughs) How does it feel over there? Australia is on my list right now uh, because I don't have any internet. So that's why our sound is no good this week. But I will say I give Kurt Campbell a lot of credit for this. Kurt is the senior Asia guy uh, at the White House, one of the czars, but he's been nominated to be a, a deputy secretary of state. I think that most of us in Washington are well aware that he's been nominated so that he can be pushed out of the White House. I really hope that he will continue to have the kind of influence that gets this on the top 10 list because it is an unmitigated good. Absolutely. And these are, you know, if you combine these last couple of things on the list, it's, you know, he's doing a lot of good stuff in countering China diplomatically, at least. Absolutely. No, I couldn't agree with you more. I think this this was exactly right to put on your list. Keep going, dude. More good news. Seven. He launched the Replicator Initiative to better compete with China. So it can take a decade or more to put a new weapon system in the hands of warfighters. This is a project that aims to fast-track weapons development and production so the Defense Department can rapidly field thousands of inexpensive, disposable, unmanned systems like swarm drones with the goal of delivering those new capabilities to U.S. forces in the Indo-Pacific in 18 to 24 months to help counter China's military buildup. I was just in Simi Valley at the Reagan Library for the Reagan Defense Forum, and this was the talk of the Reagan Defense Forum. This is the new buzzword in the defense world, the Replicator Initiative. Everybody was talking about it, and it seems like a good thing. So I confess to you, I did not know what this was. And of course, when you say Replicator, all I can think of is Blade Runner. But, (laughs) but... It sounds absolutely fascinating, and I'm glad you were able to tell people about it. And again, you know, another good area. And and fair enough, you know, it isn't actually that hard. This is the weird schizophrenia of the Biden administration. They have done good things. They do, and it's it's not a struggle. These are not struggles to compliment uh, for you or for me or for any of us, Mark. The problem is, of course, there are only ten of them. <laughs> but keep going. Six. He provided military aid to Taiwan under a program reserved for sovereign states. So it was an $80 million arms sale, which is not a lot of money, but it was this mechanism was unprecedented, which is the first ever approved for Taiwan using the foreign military financing program, which is a program we have that allows partner nations to purchase U.S. defense articles, services and training through grants and loans. Um, And it's a move that angered Beijing. So another top 10 issue countering China defending Taiwan in this case. 
Yep. And I still assign credit to a single individual. I probably am, am elevating Kurt beyond where he should be in giving him credit for all of these things. But there is a theme here, Mark. Notice that it is on Asia that we are often doing good things. I think that's important to understand. All right. Anything else? Here's, have, here's, one, that Kurt, here's one that Kurt can't take credit for. Five. He called Xi Jinping a dictator twice. So in June, Biden called the Chinese leader a dictator, which drew a stinging rebuke from Beijing. And then in November, following the uh, summit, APEC summit in San Francisco, he repeated the charge, calling Xi, quote, a dictator who runs a country that is a communist country that's based on a form of government totally different than ours. While U.S. officials, and I didn't mention him by name, but Tony Blinken, visibly cringed in the audience. Good good for him. Uh, I love that visible cringe. Not for Tony. <laughs> Not for Tony, for, for Biden. Yeah, except for the fact that I, I think that most of our listeners not to speak of the entire Biden White House, suspects that the president only said that because he, he can't control his mouth because, well, he's never been able to control his mouth, but because he's simply uh, uh, passed it. So I think that's actually the provenance of that good news. Hey, senility, there's good news here. But Hey, you take it where you can get it. Let me defend Joe Biden on this from, uh, you know, in a very uncomfortable position. But this is also the guy who, you know, and it was on my list last year, four different times said we will defend Taiwan, where his aides then went and tried to walk it back. There was an old school where you didn't have to like Ronald Reagan. Everyone freaked out that they that he called the Soviet Union the evil empire. It's like there's not there's a there's an old liberal line, you know, of the Scoop Jackson Democrats who felt perfectly comfortable uh, both engaging an adversary and also calling them what they are, which is tyrants. He seems to have good instincts, at least on being able to say that. And hey, if his uh, if his filter is down because of age, there's always a silver lining to something that's generally a bad uh, bad thing for the country and for him. So we have something to look forward to, at least as the as the president ages. <laughs> exactly. There you go. <laughs> the, the filter is gone. Joe Biden is saying what he thinks and thinking what he says. Anyway. Here's one that has nothing to do with foreign policy, Danny. Four. He signed a GOP bill overturning D.C.'s disastrous changes to its crime code. So at a time when carjackings and burglaries and homicides are completely out of control in the nation's capital, the D.C. Council, in its wisdom, decided to reduce punishments for those crimes. And despite uh, his support for home rule, uh, Biden signed a GOP-led resolution to block those disastrous changes to the D.C. law from taking effect. Yeah, no, and he got the crap kicked out of him by the left wing of the Democratic Party. So good for him for having done that. It doesn't make life any safer in D.C. because there's still no law enforcement and there's still no prosecutions. Uh, D.C. had its worst year of crime in more than a decade in 2023. Nonetheless, this would have made it worse. So thank you, Joe Biden. If you want to put a less uh, benign spin on it, if he hadn't vetoed that law, he would have owned every murder, every carjacking, every crime in the District of Columbia for now until Election Day. Uh, so I think he really didn't have very much of a choice uh, but to do this. But he did it. It's a good thing. So credit to him. OK, keep going. Three. He reached a debt ceiling deal with House Republicans that reduced spending. So in his first year, two years in office, I looked this up. I asked Brian Riedel, who's our friend at the Manhattan Institute, who's probably the best budget numbers cruncher in the conservative movement. And according to Brian, Biden unleashed a miasma of $4.8 trillion in new spending in his first two years in office. 
I mean, I, that's just that figure is just unfathomable to me. But after, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Where's the good news here? Where's the compliment here? Well, here's the compliment: is that after the first refusing to negotiate with the new House GOP majority, he relented and he signed a debt limit deal that reduced discretionary spending slightly, added welfare work requirements, pared back about twenty billion dollars of his IRS expansion, and ended the pandemic pause on student loan repayments. So I was on special report the other day, and they were talking about the uh, the do nothing uh, Republican Congress, and I I said, Brett, can I speak in defense of doing nothing <laughs> because what we've been doing for the last two years is spending $4.8 trillion. So to the extent that House Republicans did nothing but stop him from spending more, uh, that is a victory. Amen to that. I only wish that we had a lot more of that. I mean, this is sort of shades of Bill Clinton, and I just wish that the Democratic Party had more shades of Bill Clinton, honestly. I never thought I would say that, but 20 years on, he looks pretty good. Well, the Jeffrey Epstein logs just came <laughs> Okay. Uh, I'm not sure so good at sure how good he looks. Mark Mark Tietzen always introducing the sordid element of sex into our podcast. Exactly. Oh, we have a million downloads, Danny. (laughs) That's why. They're all looking for that. Keep going. All right. Two. He continued to stand with Ukraine. So despite the slow rolling of weapons, you know, every year Ukraine is on both my 10 best and 10 worst list. But despite the slow rolling of weapons, uh, Biden provided Ukraine with $68 billion in military assistance so far. Without which, Russia would have conquered the country. Uh, That aid is not only decimating the Russian military threat to NATO, as I put it in a uh, detailed in a big Washington Post essay this year. It's also creating jobs. It's revitalizing manufacturing communities across the United States and restoring the U.S. capacity to produce weapons for our own defense. And as one senior U.S. official told me, and this is a direct quote, Biden is responsible for killing more Russians than Ronald Reagan. That's pretty cool. And I'm glad that they're proud of that. If, uh, if only if only there were more. If only there were more. But that we'll get to that in our bottom 10 list. And you are about to hit number one, aren't you? One. He stood with Israel after the October 7 terrorist attack. So Biden has strongly backed Israel in its battle with Hamas, despite pressure from allies and from his political base. Uh, there was a Gallup poll in March that found 49% plurality of Democrats side with the Palestinians, while just 38% support Israel. Biden could face a backlash from Arab American voters he needs to win states like Michigan. Um, Harvard-Harris polling uh, in October pointed out the risk with younger voters, a majority of whom say Hamas's just attacks are justified. Uh, in December, ha- Harvard-Harris poll found a majority of younger voters say Israel should be ended and given to Hamas and the Palestinians. Uh, Biden is that's that's horrific, <laughs> but Biden is supporting Israel anyway, despite the fact that his base doesn't want him to, and that takes political courage. Good for him. I agree, and I agree. It belongs in the number one spot. I worry about this, but I, I try to focus on what Elliot Abrams said to us in that terrific pod that he did with us, which is, yep, you're going to hear a lot of rhetoric, you're going to hear a lot of uh, a lot of sound and fury, but the bottom line is that the Israelis aren't reporting that the Biden administration is telling them anything serious about stopping their offensive against Hamas in private. And good for Joe Biden, because I think you and I know just how hard this position is for him. Well, you know, that was going to be my on my top 10 worst uh, until we talked to Elliot. And uh, and he made that point. And I thought to myself, you know what, why not just give him a clean win? Uh, because they haven't really pushed them in, in, in any coercive way to do that. You don't hear the Israelis complaining about it, uh, you know, even through back channels. 
And so, you know, this is, I think, so far, a clean positive for Joe Biden. Now to my sweet spot, the glass half empty. Nope, nope, Danny, hold on. You've got bonuses here? I've got bonuses. On on both of them, I have bonuses. So here's here's the near achievement that gets an honorable mention uh, because it was thwarted by no fault of Joe Biden's. Biden brought us tantalizingly close to a Saudi-Israeli peace deal, only to see it disrupted by Hamas's attack. Uh, but that assault by Iran's terrorist proxy will only serve to increase Arab resolve to make peace with Israel as a military bulwark against Iran, once conditions in the region permit. And uh, please, everyone, when you get to this part of the column, if you read it online, click to the link at the end, because producer Clara has an outstanding article, which I link to, on why Arab-Israeli uh, peace has a strong future. Uh, once this, once the conditions in the region permit. Amen to that. Bonus for us. Bonus for Clara. Absolutely. Um, do you think that's true? Do you think that this is going to resume once once conditions permit? I do, but I don't know when that that sort of ephemeral conditions permit actually will happen. And I think that's going to be the 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 very hard part of this is when do people feel like they've gone enough back to normal that they can do what they fully intend to do, which is to to ultimately make peace with Israel. I hope it's sooner rather than later, but I worry that it won't be. And that's also, uh, I said this in the podcast with, I think with Elliot, but I think, but it's worth repeating. The reason that is happening is because of the Iraq war, because the Arab world depended on Saddam Hussein, that stable genius of the uh, (laughs) Middle East, uh, as the bulwark against uh, Iran. And now Saddam Hussein is gone. And so who is the only military power in the region outside the United States who, who can be a bulwark against uh, Iran? It's Israel. And that is that is the ultimate reason why they've all decided to make peace with Israel is because they need Israel. They need a nuclear power. They need a, uh, a powerful military that is willing to whack, as they did recently, uh, apparently, you know, could force leaders and, and push back on Iranian uh, action in the region. The only country that can do that now is Israel because Saddam is gone. So thank goodness, uh, as George W. Bush always said, uh, the world is better off without Saddam Hussein. Well, yes, it is. There's no question. Okay. Enough of the neocon. Uh, so, and then there, everyone always accuses me of being a neocon. I'm not a neocon. I'm just a con. Right, <laughs> you know, it used to be uh, you could just be a conservative and be uh, be American leadership. But apparently, nowadays, if you support bold American leadership on the world stage, you are a neocon. But anyway, enough. That's a digression. Enough of that. So, there is one achievement that should be on this list that is not. Um, we reached the end of the year without a deal on fundamental changes in border security in exchange for new military aid to Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan. Um, the fact that we got let the year go without the Biden administration cutting that deal with House and Senate Republicans uh, is shameful. I, I believe that this is a win-win when it happens because the biggest argument that the anti-Ukraine right makes is Joe Biden cares more about Ukraine's borders than our own. And you know what? The problem with it is it's true. He does care more about Ukraine's borders than our own. We can care about both. We can secure our own border without uh, without, uh, you know, and and also lead on the world stage because, like, you know, we're a superpower. Again, more neocon. Uh, But, uh, you know, the the idea that we can't do that is is ridiculous. And we, you know, to the extent that Republicans are using this issue to get get the Biden force, the Biden administration to do something on border security. Good for them. It'll be a win win when it happens. It, it, well, if it doesn't happen, it's because Biden it cares more about than than it proves the anti-Ukraine folks right. It proves that Joe Biden cares more about securing Ukraine's border than he does our own. 
Oh, I'm going to get into it in the in the worst uh, list, so I won't go into the numbers right now. But I mean, the the situation on the southern border is absolute catastrophe. Just since the end of the uh, fiscal year, we had more than three hundred thousand border encounters last month, which is the most in the history of the country. You know, it's just it's just an outrage. And so, anyway, let's get to the outrages. <laughs> All right, so the top 10 worst things that Joe Biden did in 2023. 10. He made the child care crisis worse. So, you know, listeners of our pod know, my post colleague Alyssa Rosenberg and I came on the pod. We did a big essay in the Post in September um, talking about ways that we can improve child care. And uh, the child care costs in this country have been rising at nearly twice the rate of inflation. And one of the things we proposed was expanding the State Department's au pair program, which I know you're familiar with, Danny, um, and making that low-cost option available for more families. Well, instead, the Biden administration put forward a plan that would double the cost of hiring an au pair by tying compensation to state and local laws on minimum wage, also taking away some of the flexibility that parents have in terms of compensation and and hours worked and all the rest of it. And that will effectively put the program out of reach for many working families. You're an au pair family, Danny. Tell Tell me what you think. So, I mean, we haven't had an au pair in many years, but this is a wonderful program. I mean, it's a wonderful program for kids. It's a wonderful program for our culture. It's a wonderful way to welcome young people from foreign countries who are interested without making too much of a commitment to them. But uh, what I think you may not know is that Biden is following always a great leader in our nation, always the state that you wish to emulate. If it can't be California, it ought to be Massachusetts, where they put this law into place uh, a couple of years ago and effectively drummed most families out of the au pair program because it became so expensive to have an au pair at their exorbitant minimum wage rates. And they limited the ability of families to deduct costs. You know, they host and feed and pay for insurance and pay for gas for these mostly girls who come. And uh, Massachusetts also limited the amount you could deduct for them. So yeah, that's basically the end of uh, of that program. You can all go back to paying, you know, 25 bucks an hour for a babysitter from the local high school. It, it, it's, it's anti-family, but then again, I mean... That right. is this administration, anti-family. Nine. He made us more dependent on Russian uranium. So we talk a lot about our uh, dependence on foreign countries for fossil fuels and, and and what Biden did to reverse our energy independence. Um, but he's also making it harder for us to uh, get uranium uh, for nuclear power. So Biden wants to speed our transition from fossil fuels to electricity. I think that's insane. But uh, if he wants to do it, guess what? We need nuclear power because nuclear power is clean, green and safe. And yet he just restricted development of over one million acres of land that includes the only U.S. source of high grade uranium ore. Uh, what that means is uh, the United States right now is the largest purchaser of, of uranium from guess where? Russia. And the move increases our dependence on Russia at a time when we're trying to isolate Vladimir Putin for his invasion of Ukraine. It's insane. A lot of people don't pay attention to this stuff. And that's one of the reasons why I like these lists. You know, I think everybody's saying to themselves, why do we have to listen so much to Mark? He's the so much less interesting member of this team. And and yet Mark... <laughs> 
what what I say to myself is, you've done a heck of a good job here. Self, I say, you've done a great job here. No, this is something we don't talk about enough. And these are the kinds of decisions that most Americans say, oh, yay, we're, we're you know, we're protecting the land, we're protecting whatever particular species the, uh, the administration has picked as its pet of the year. And the reality is this has major implications not simply for our national security, but also for our environmental security. So good for you, Mark. You found a nugget. We, th- <laughs> we have environmental security? <laughs> I didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> well, listen, I mean, if you want nuclear power because you think it's more environmentally friendly than buying uh, solar panels from China, if you think it's more environmentally friendly than uh, those bird-killing eyesore windmills that everybody seems to love, if you think it's more environmentally friendly than so so many of the other stupid measures like electric car subsidies, uh, then in fact, in fact, these are these are real things. Yeah, that's well, not can't. a don't. Nu- nuclear nuclear is in fact the solution to everybody's fears about climate change. We just don't want to embrace it. No, it's exactly. But that's a different rant. It is absolutely. Look, I'm I'm against the transition from fossil fuels. I think we need more fossil fuels. I want to I want to drill, baby, drill for all of them. But if you're but you can't at the same time be a climate change fanatic. Uh, and say we need to go electric on everything, even though our power grid can't handle it. And apparently, there was an article that shows that the uh, if if your if your electric car goes on fire, the best thing to do is let it burn because you can't put it out. Um, but you know, if you if you if you want it, if you want that, if you want burning cars along the side of the road that don't go out, uh, and and our power grid going down because everybody's using electric cars, you got to be for nuclear energy, and you got to be for domestic production of nuclear ore. So anyway, all right. Eight. He circumvented the Supreme Court on student loan forgiveness. So last year with a stroke of his pen. I'm sorry. This is such an outrage. This is just such an outrage. I can't even let you speak. And this makes me so mad. Okay, good. Thank you for sharing that, Danny. So let me let me tell people what he did and then you can rant. <laughs> all right. So last year with a stroke of his pen, Biden tried to cancel half a trillion dollars in student debt only to have his unconstitutional plan blocked by the Supreme Court. So he used other regulatory means to write off $132 billion in student debt anyway, which is effectively forcing blue-collar workers to subsidize the higher education of white-collar professionals and launching a frontal assault on Congress's power of the purse. Danny, go. This is such an outrage. And I think the person who said to us, I can't remember who it was anymore, who said to us that Every single one of the president's lawyers said he couldn't do this. Every single one, his political appointees, his bureaucrats all said you can't do this. But then Lawrence Tribe, of of course, Harvard University, came in and said, no, no, this is totally cool. You can totally do it. And he was like, see, Larry knows what I can do. And, and he's still violating U.S. law. He's still robbing the poor. We've talked about this so many times. Robbing the janitor in the doctor's office to pay the doctor's student loans. It makes me sick. Yeah, it's, it's just the idea that you know, that uh, you can take out a loan and then not pay it back. You know what? It You know what it does? It punishes the responsible American. So there are so many people who don't go to, who would love to go to Harvard 
but decide instead to go to state school because that's more affordable. Or they work a campus job to pay off their bills so they don't take on a lot of student debt. Or they, you know, or they, you know, make, or maybe they go, you know, Virginia has this great program where if you do two years at Nova, uh, the North Virginia Community College, and you keep a good grade average GPA, you get automatic admission into UVA, which is one of the most prestigious universities in the country. There's so many options. Our, our old boss Arthur Brooks wrote about his 5K BA. He did a correspondence uh, degree at, at Thomas Edison University. Um, there, there are so many options to get a college education that don't involve taking on half a million dollars in student debt. And people who make irresponsible decisions are asking people who made responsible decisions to bail them out and pay their debt for them. And that's, you know, that seems to be the, the way this generation goes. See, I'm not the only one who knows how to rant. Keep going. Okay. Well, here, we're going to tee up Danny for another rant here. Seven. He failed to police anti-Semitism on the left. So when Biden declared his candidacy for president in 2019, he gave, he produced a video where he condemned, he started, the first two words were Charlottesville, Virginia, and he com- condemned the right-wing bigots in Charlottesville, quote, chanting the same anti-Semitic bile heard across Europe in the 1930s. Well, guess what? <laughs> the same anti-Semitic bile is coming from the left right now on college campuses, on Capitol Hill and other places after the October 7th uh, terrorist attack on Israel, and Joe Biden has not confronted that. They have not kicked Rashida Tlaib out of Congress. They have it's it, this this anti-Semitism is exploded on the left and and the Democrats are, you know, just trying to duck and pretend it's not happening when they made a huge deal of the neo-Nazis marching in Charlottesville. I think it's total hypocrisy. It is total hypocrisy. I can't even rant about it. I'm, I remain speechless. I remain speechless that it took more than a month to get rid of that, that vile anti-Semite Claudine Gay at Harvard University. So I still can't believe the administration put out a policy on Islamophobia in response to the explosion of anti-Semitism. We've talked about this a lot, Mark. Our listeners know what I think. And believe me, I haven't stopped. Excellent. All right. Six. He allowed a Chinese spy balloon to violate U.S. airspace. So for days, the administration did nothing while this 20-story Chinese craft, you know, approached the United States across the Pacific. They saw it coming came across U.S. land, and then somebody in Montana looked up at the sky and said, what the hell is that? And then (laughs) told the media. And then, even then, they let it keep going. And even Democrats, including Leon Panetta, John Tester, uh, and others, called the president out for letting it sail across the country for a week, collecting intelligence before finally shooting it down over the Atlantic. Uh, You know what? I think the real issue here is that that Chinese spy balloon is the tip of the iceberg. I think that this administration and probably others too have gotten so used to the Chinese being up in our grill that they just tolerate it. They, they now, they now think it's just business as usual. You know what? You're stealing our intellectual property. You're stealing our social security number. You're stealing our national health records. You're floating spy balloons over our country using, by the way, American internet service providers to hook up and spy on us. Hey, you know what? I mean, all I can tell you is, I'm sure there's much worse out there. I just can't wait to hear what it is. Yeah, you know, it's it's Biden is just the the hallmark of Biden's foreign policy is fear of escalation. 
So what any, whether Donald Trump or any Republican president would have done when they saw that thing coming, it's it's an unmanned craft. Shoot it down over the Pacific. You don't let a spy balloon cross over. But Joe Biden wrings his hands and thinks, oh, no, that could be escalation. We could cause a crisis with China. It's it's the same reason why he won't give long-range missiles to Ukraine. Oh, no, it could cause escalation with Russia. It's the same reason why he doesn't, you know, respond to uh, Iran's provocations, which we're about to get to. Uh, oh, no, it could start a, start a regional war. He's so afraid of his own shadow. And what he doesn't understand is the way you deter China is by not being afraid to shoot down their freaking unmanned spy balloon. <laughs> yeah, it's not complicated. You've got you've got your finger on the pulse of Joe Biden. He's afraid of everything. I agree. Five. He allowed Iran to attack U.S. forces with impunity. So, okay, your, your favorite president, Donald Trump, Danny, uh, drew a clear red line with Iran's leaders. He warned Iran's leaders that the United States would respond militarily against Iran if Iran or its terrorist proxies killed a single American. And he enforced it by taking out Iran's terrorist mastermind, Qasem Soleimani, in 2020. Well, on October 7th, Iran, its proxy, Hamas, killed more than 30 Americans during its attack on Israel. And since then, Iran's terrorist proxies have carried out more than 100 attacks on U.S. forces in Iraq, in Syria, in the Red Sea. And Biden has imposed no cost on Iran whatsoever. That sends a message of weakness and it invites more attacks. I can't add anything to that. That's exactly what's going on. And we just pulled a carrier battle group out of the out of the, the region. I know there were other reasons for us to have to do it, but it sends a message to the Iran. You don't have a carrier battle group? Uh, well, <laughs> as, as you and I know all too well, we actually don't. Uh, this got this yep. this this particular group was coming to the end of its uh, uh, of its deployment, but I think the message that the, it sends to Hezbollah, to the Iranians, to the Houthis is is unmissable, and that is we will tolerate your attacks on us, we will tolerate your murder of American citizens, we will tolerate your attacks on U.S. troops in Iraq. That's the Biden administration message, and unfortunately, I think the Iranians are getting it loud and clear. Four. He allowed the worst border crisis in U.S. history to get even worse. So in fiscal 2023, the record for the most encounters on the southern border was broken for a third year in a row. Every year as president, Joe Biden has broken the record for the most encounters at the southern border. Just before Christmas, there were more than 12,600 migrant encounters in a single day, the highest total ever recorded. Just to put this in context, Jay Johnson, who was the Secretary of Homeland Security under the uh, Obama administration, said if we faced 1,000 border encounters in a, a day, it would be a crisis that would overwhelm the system. 12,600 in a single day. Uh, Wall Street Journal poll found 64% of Americans disapprove of Biden's border policies, while just 27% approve. This is just this is just a absolute debacle. And quite frankly, Danny, it's a crisis of choice because you know what? Joe Biden has the same laws on the books that Donald Trump and Barack Obama had, and they secured the border. You know, you, you forget, people forget this, but people called Obama the deporter in chief because he deported so many people. Um, and here's Joe Biden not enforcing the laws. You know, it's great that Congress, that we were trying to, that Congress is trying to force him to do, to do it, but it's not a matter of money. It's not a matter of he needs any more authorities. He has the same laws on the books that Trump and Obama did, and they enforce, they secured the border. Why can't Joe Biden do it? I have no damn idea. This would be, uh, this would be, frankly, a saving grace for his administration. 
Democrats are privately, as you and I heard, uh, as much up in arms about this as Republicans. We've got sanctuary city governors and and mayors uh, hysterical about the influx of of illegal aliens. It, a country is defined by its borders. I will be honest with you. I actually just don't get this. It's mind-boggling to me. And also, you know what? A couple of couple things. One, if everyone remembers, we had Brian Fitzpatrick on the podcast. And one of the things he said to us, which just has stuck with me, and I've repeated it to anyone who will listen, is that he says, on the floor of the House, Republicans come up to him and say, I can't vote for aid for Ukraine, but I hope it passes. And Democrats come up to him and say, I can't vote for border security, but I hope it passes. It's like, do your jobs, folks. <laughs> You know, good Lord. Yeah, no, you're right. 100%. Three. He blocked allies from giving Ukraine a clear path to NATO membership. So at the July summit in Vilnius, um, a majority of NATO allies wanted to set a specific timetable for Kiev's admission to the alliance. But Biden rejected their entreaties in, out of fear of, guess what, provoking Russia and gave Putin a major victory. It's the same flawed reasoning that leads Biden to withhold critical weapons from Ukraine um, it, Joe Biden is just afraid of his shadow on this stuff. Yep. And and no different. You know, look, people listening to us can see a, a pattern of fear, of timidity, of an unwillingness to to cross his far left flank or to cross his his young, you know, gun lefty advisors inside the White House. And and the testament is that when Joe Biden has courage, like he does on Israel, like he did when he got rid of the ISIS leader, he does well. And when he is ruled by fear, all of America loses. It, it's as simple as that. That's the lesson here. Absolutely. And look, Steve Began and I had a big essay in the Post this year around the Vilnius summit explaining why the only way you end this war is by getting by bringing Ukraine into NATO. Because look, if let's say Ukraine isn't able to take back all of its territory, Zelensky will have to decide how much territory he's taken back and whether it's whether he can sue for peace or not. The only way that's not going to be a repeat of 2014, where the Russians invaded and and took some territory and then paused and then started up again, is is because uh, that's what the Russians will do. They'll take it. They'll take any peace agreement as a pause, not as a not as a peace agreement. They'll rebuild their military. They'll rearm and then they'll go for the rest of it in a few years' time. The only way you do stop that is by making by drawing a line, just like we did in during sixty years of the Cold War on the Fulda Gap. And saying this line you will not cross. Now, if you attack the rest of Ukraine, it's a part of NATO. You're at war with us. Um, that's the only way you have lasting peace that doesn't involve a complete and total defeat for Russia and Ukraine. Um, so I don't know when when Ukraine's going to get to that point. But the only way you end this war and not have another one in Ukraine is by bringing Ukraine into NATO. Amen. Number two, he continued to slow roll weapons to Ukraine. Uh, so Ukraine was my number one of my top best things that he did. But this is also it's always so one of the worst things he did. So after resisting for nearly a year, Biden finally agreed in January to provide Ukraine with M1 Abrams tanks. But the first tanks didn't arrive until September. The counteroffensive started in the spring, but it was not until the fall that the first tanks arrived. After 19 months of Ukrainian pleading, Biden finally provided Kyiv with the TACOMs, which are Army Tactical Missile Systems, in October. But we only gave him a few 
and we only gave them medium-range missiles which travel 100 miles instead of the long-range missiles that have 190-mile range. And after denying Ukraine's begging for F-16 fighters for more than a year, finally, Biden finally reversed course in May, but we had training delays and that they, they have still haven't been deployed. And then he pro- provided Kyiv with just three Patriot air defense systems, which leaves Ukrainian troops and schools and homes and hospitals and critical infrastructure exposed to Russian attacks. Um, Biden's delays have undermined Ukraine's counteroffensive. They prolonged the war and they've weakened supporting Congress for military aid to Ukraine because people look at it and say he doesn't have a strategy to win. And they're right. That's correct. He doesn't. And, you know, look, we've talked about this innumerable times. This is easy. It's obvious. And all it takes is courage. And, you know, the the desire to merely stop Russia from winning rather than to enable Ukraine's victory is it, it will go down in history for Joe Biden. It won't be an asterisk. It will be the stain on his administration that he deserves. Yeah. I mean, I just don't understand. You would think just out of a political, you know, calculus, wouldn't you want to have a victory going in a clear victory in Ukraine going into the 2024 elections? The fact is the polls show that the vast majority of Americans disapprove of his Ukraine policy, not because he's doing too much, because he's doing too little, because they don't think he has a strategy for victory. You would think he'd want to have a victory. But again, I think, you know, if there's a theme that's going through this is Joe Biden is afraid of escalation. And I think he thinks that a clear Ukrainian victory would be escalatory. He doesn't want Ukraine to actually win decisively because he thinks that, oh no, Putin may escalate if if he's pushed into a corner. So let's just give them enough weapons to keep Putin at bay, but not enough weapons to decisively win this. And I can tell you, I spoke to a very senior Ukrainian uh, official who was visiting Washington recently, and he told me that if he had attackums and about five Patriot batteries, uh, the Ukrainians could absolutely decimate uh, the Russian fleet. Uh, They could drive them out of of Crimea. And you can tell, quite frankly, the British gave them storm shadows, which are their equivalent of the long-range attackums. The French gave them their, their version of it. And they used that to win the Battle of the Black Sea, they actually drove Russian uh, ships out of the Black Sea back into Russian territory, and that opened up uh, the ability to send grain and to uh, send iron ore and to restore shipping. It's like that was just a handful of missiles from Britain and France. Imagine if we gave them our miss, long-range missiles and gave them the capability to do that, not just in Crimea, not just in the Black Sea, but across the entire front of where Russian forces have taken territory. It's just boggles the mind that we won't give them the weapons they need to win. So what's worse than this, Mark? One. He announced he's running for (laughs) re-election. That is worse. (laughs) So Joe Biden, I I check every every day uh, the 538 average, which is a great website because it not only gives you the polling average, but it gives you, you can plug in the day, the current day of the Biden presidency and compare his approval rating to every president in the history of polling going back to Harry Truman. And Joe Biden is the single most unpopular president since the end of World War II. Nobody compares. Trump close, but he's now even more unpopular than Trump. I used to have to say, with the exception of Jimmy Carter, he's now 11 points less popular than Jimmy Carter was when he was running for re-election against Ronald Reagan, and we all know what happened there. 
Uh, in October, 76% of Americans said that he is too old to serve a second term. CNN polling found that 67% of Democrats want someone else to be their party's nominee, yet he is running. Um, and he's forcing a Biden-Trump rematch that the supermajorities of Americans say they don't want. And that makes a second Trump term all the more likely. Okay, so Mark, what do you say to the idea, though, that in fact, if we didn't have Joe Biden, we would have someone even further left, even worse? After all, the choice in the Democratic Party is not between normal and far left. It's between left and very left and very, very far left. The Democratic Party isn't the party that we once knew. So... Why are we so mad at Joe Biden for for saving us from AOC and and Kamala Harris and Rashida Tlaib and uh, all the rest of them? Have you been listening to this list? <laughs> I mean, the list, the list bad stuff that's going on. I mean, it could get worse. Yeah, I it mean, could get Lord, worse. He, the re- it the will people, get worse. Well, it could get worse. But you know, the, Joe Biden is the worst president in my lifetime. I mean, he's worse than Jimmy Carter. He is the most disastrous president we've ever had. And I will tell you that the only reason Joe Biden is president, to make your point, is because they couldn't find anybody else who was electable. I mean, you know, they, 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 they were heading towards Bernie Sanders as the nominee until the, the Democrats, in their wisdom, because they they're actually played politics as a team sport, they said, oh, my God. Bernie Sanders is going to be the nominee. We need to elect Joe. We need to nominate Joe Biden, who is barely, you know, barely uh, compass mentis and send him in the basement to run against Trump because he's the only one who can win. So, yeah, they could go off and they could nominate somebody like Gavin Newsom or or one of these, you know, left wing lunatics. And they're going to lose the election if they do that. So, you know, they don't have they, the reason they nominated him is because he's the only one, not because he was more moderate, is because they knew the only person the, the Democrats Americans would elect was someone who was moderate. And guess what? He ended up not being that damn moderate. He ended up not being the guy he told the American people he would be, the, the president who brought America together because Donald Trump screwed up so badly in 2020 that he not only lost the presidency, he lost us the Senate. And when they lost, when they won the Senate, Joe Biden got visions in his eyes of being the next FDR and started passing trillions of dollars in spending, which unleashed the worst inflation in 40 years. Oh, dude, so, shut up. You know, You're depressing me. Stop. Stop. If he had been the moderate president he promised to be, he would be cruising to re-election right now. I don't know. If, if, if either party figured out that they just if we just nominate somebody else, we're going to win, <laughs> then the first person to realize that Americans don't want a Trump-Biden rematch and nominate somebody else is going to win the 2024 election. But I don't think anybody's going to figure that out. No one's going to figure it out. This is what we deserve. We can't have nice things anymore. On the other hand, I want to end this thoroughly depressing. We've got the dishonorable mentions. Oh, my God. Jeez, Louise, Mark, go ahead. All right. So it is very hard for me to come up with just 10 <laughs> of the worst things that Joe Biden did every year. So every year I have the dishonorable mention. So I'll just go through them really quickly. Biden canceled the seven remaining oil gas leases in Alaska's Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. He transferred $6 billion in frozen oil funds to Iran as ransom for five American hostages. He announced the most draconian restrictions on auto emissions ever in an effort to try and force American automakers to transition to electric vehicles. He nominated judges who couldn't answer basic questions about the Constitution. And he embraced Bidenomics, even though only 14% of Americans say they've been helped by Biden's economic policies. Those are the ones that didn't make the list. And I could have gone on for a long time, but I only had 900 words. Well, that's what the rest of our year is for. 
Can we just say have one little footnote of great news? Yes. What's the great news? Claudine Gay out at Harvard University. You're right. It wasn't because of her anti-Semitism. It's because she was a serial plagiarist. On the other hand, what a good way to start the year. I'm hopeful. I am yeah, hopeful. Let's, they were replaced. <laughs> that is a that is a sick institution, and it's not just her that's the problem. That is a culture uh, that is that yes. is really bad over there. Um, so let's hope they get it fixed. I've got a nominee for uh, for two replacer. Who's that? Arthur Brooks. <laughs> 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 if you wanted to send a sign that you're changing course and that you're going to actually make yourself a serious institution, Arthur Brooks for president. There you go. <laughs> right. Of, of, of Harvard, of course. Of, of Harvard. Yes. Well, it is a sick institution. But I have to say, on this, I'm a glass half full girl because I'm really hopeful. Maybe this is the beginning of good things happening in 2024. We need, we need the good things. <laughs> it's not... It's- not it's not <laughs> there are no good things happening in 2024 danny hey, hey folks <laughs> let us know let us know what you think of mark's top 10 to bottom 10 uh and uh and of anything else we're going to talk about all of these things and much much more we've got a great lineup already for the rest of the year and we're super grateful to you for being here happy new year happy new year everybody we'll see you next week Let us know what topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing us at whatthehell at AEI.org. Or you can reach us on Twitter. I'm at D. Pletka. And I'm at Mark Thiessen. That's Mark with a C. Please rate and review the podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe, share it, comment on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to this. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.